All right, we're going to continue our series today. We are talking about unrest, Christ in the center of chaos. You remember we're talking about this because a lot of us are feeling exhausted right now, right? We've got all the things going on in the political arena, and it's just getting nastier and nastier with more and more things going on. Uh, We've got the injustice going on that so many are facing right now. We've got the pandemic that's still going on. We're still wearing masks. We've got all of the economic things going on and the recession. Thankfully, jobs are starting to come back, uh, but there's still some ways to go. We've got school. you still got another month, at least, of online school to go through, and that's been tough because not all the parents wanted that. You've got weather events that have been happening, hurricanes and fires, and all these other things raging. And I'm sure, I'm sure I am forgetting many things that are happening. And those are just the the nationwide things. That doesn't even account for what's going on in our own lives. And as we we think about all those things, we're searching for why. Why is this happening? What are the reasons? And how do we make it through this? We want to get control over those things. You ever feel that way? I just want to get control. Came back. Okay, that's good. I was about to be nervous there. We want to get control over it. But we're doing things different here. We're doing things different here. Instead of looking for control, what we are looking for is we're looking at Jesus, right? We're looking at Jesus, and we're looking at how Jesus handled the chaos that was going on around him. We're looking at how Jesus took time to rest, rest in the unrest. So if you remember our first week, we talked about sleep and making it through the storm by relying on Jesus. Last week, we talked about prayer putting our burdens on God, how we take on Christ's yoke to love others and to forgive. Remember, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and in that, almost all the things in the Lord's Prayer are asking God to help us do something. And there's only one thing in there. Remember what that one thing was that we have to do in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. So we, our challenge last week was to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Did anybody make it? Hey, all right, we have a few. Good job. This one was a real easy challenge for me because I've been doing this for about a year now. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make it this week. We'll see about the challenge for this week. This next one is going to be hard for all of us. It's going to be hard for me too. We're talking about solitude this week. Solitude. Now, when you hear the word solitude, I know we've got some mixed feelings about that. For some folks, that brings in thoughts of solitary isolation, and that is not something that that we like. For some of us, we think about maybe quarantine. Uh, We think about the isolation that we've had to do here during the pandemic. Maybe you think about being alone, and there's no one around, and and you don't like being left alone, or a memory of a child. But but that's not what we're really talking about here, because all those circumstances were put on you if you with the quarantine and those kinds of things you you needed to do that for others but but you were told to do that this is different this is solitude that we are choosing intentionally for a for a special purpose what we're talking about here uh and 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 here's the thing some of you guys are like me and you're you're introverted right and so you're like okay being alone being not away with people being away from people that sounds okay and some of you are saying, that sounds terrible. I'm an extrovert. I, I want to be with people all the time. 
Well, there's, there's some benefit to both. And next week, we're going to continue this a little bit. And we're going to talk about what I'm going to call the trust. So we're going to be going in and out. Sorry, online folks. It's going to be a little struggle. I'll see if I can try to pay attention to when it drops out. We're talking about solitude. Uh, and we're talking about spiritual disciplines. Who's familiar with spiritual disciplines in here at all? Does that ring a bell for many people? Okay, so some of you guys know what we're talking about. So spiritual disciplines are these practices that we can do to help us engage with God. There's a being with a small community. There's meditation. There's retreat. There's on and on and on. There's all these kinds of different things. And all these things are designed to help us come into a deeper relationship with God. But it's not that those disciplines, in fact, give us life. It's that the disciplines provide a space for us to enter into life with God. Okay? So these things, these habits that we're trying to form with our rest, it's not that the rest itself is what's going to bring us through the chaos that's going on around us, right? The, the rest isn't what we're, we're really after here. What are we really after? We're after God. We're after a relationship with God. We're after things that bring us closer to God. And those things that bring us closer to God are going to help us understand the ways that we can relate to others. How can we engage with the world as followers of Christ without being in deep relationship? Right? How are we going to know how to answer what would Jesus do on our bracelets if we don't know what Jesus would do? Because if Jesus always does the things I want to do, I am worshiping myself and not Jesus. Because Jesus often wants to do things I do not want to do. You ever been there? You ever had a situation you said, man, I think Jesus wants me to do this, but I think I'd rather go over here instead. Yeah, that happens all the time. All the time. Right? And so we've got to get to know Jesus well. We've got to be deeply in a relationship with our Father so that we can know what we need to do. All right, so let me give you a definition of solitude. You ready? This is from renovare.org. Renovare is attached to Richard Foster, who wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline, which uh, restarted a lot of spiritual disciplines movement in the 70s. So he's got some really good definitions. Let me read this to you. It says, Solitude is the creation of an open, empty space in our lives by purposefully abstaining from human beings so that, freed from competing loyalties, we can be found by God. Okay, what'd you hear in there? This is creating a space where we are not worried about other people's needs and will. So we have to push other people aside for this time of solitude. So why? So we can be found by God. So we're not worried about anything but God. Listen, there are great things about being with your family. There are great things about if I've got my daughter with me and we're doing something, we can do great things. We can enjoy our time. Do I have to pay attention to her while I'm with her? Yeah, to be a good dad, I have to. Can I totally focus on God if I'm paying attention to Laura? No, I can't. As wonderful as that is, and as important as it is, and as necessary as that is, there also needs to be a time sometimes when we are just focused on God so that God can enter into what God wants for us. Okay, so how did Jesus deal with this? We're going to be looking a little bit in the book of Mark, a little bit in the book of John, both this week and next week. They both have some good examples of uh, being with
even going to hit everything. This is going to be an overview of a lot of stuff. We're not even going to get to like Jesus teaching in Matthew about going into a closet to pray by yourself. That's a good thing to look at in Matthew chapter 6, but that's all we're going to talk about it. So the first time in the book of Mark that Jesus goes by himself is not restful. The first thing he does is in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he goes into the wilderness to be tested. To be tested. He's fasted for 40 days. He's hungry. The tempter comes and tests him, and Jesus is exhausted at the end of this. And, and that's, I bring that up to tell you, solitude is not always restful. All right? Sometimes solitude is struggle. Sometimes being alone is difficult. But sometimes we need that struggle. With ourselves and with God, as God exposes, as Celebrate Recovery says, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups that are within us. Right? There's things in us that need to be exposed sometimes that we need to change and we need to make different. And there's a time for that in solitude sometimes. So solitude's not always restful. But a lot of times it is. So let's talk about when Jesus found rest in solitude. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Before daybreak the next morning, this is after a day with a lot of healings, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Because he's going to be in alone to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I about the dogs and casting out demons. All right, so what just happened? Jesus has been really busy engaging with the people, and he goes to be alone and pray to God. And Peter says, Simon Peter says, they're looking for you. What does he say? All right, let's get back at it. Nope. He says, that wasn't my purpose. I gotta go. We gotta go preach somewhere else. Let's hit. Let's hit town. Let's get out of here. Huh, that's not, a, that's not what we expect there, is it? That Jesus hightails it out once he goes to be alone. Let's keep thinking about this. We're going to be in John chapter 6 now. And this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. But what we're really interested in is the, the beginning of the story and the end of the story. Okay? So John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After this and after this, how he was the son of God. All right? Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Okay, so what just happened there? Jesus had this big conversation with the teachers of the law. He said that God is his father, which makes him equal to God. Are they happy about it? If you remember this, they are not happy about it. They think he's blaspheming. What does Jesus do? He hightails it out, and he crosses the Sea of Galilee on a boat. So he gets away. He gets away. Okay? Let's listen to the rest of this. Verse 2. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed into the disciples around the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy for bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. 
and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled twelve baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Let's take a break for a second. It is the only miracle aside from the resurrection that appears in all four of the Gospels. This is a big deal. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five pieces of bread and two fish. And the leftovers are more than what he started with. Right? So this is a huge miracle. Now, what are the people thinking? What are the people thinking? Wow. Wow. Say it again. Let's keep this guy around. He can feed us off of nothing. Now, what are the people waiting for in Israel? This is a little history piece. The people are waiting for the Messiah, right? What do they think the Messiah is going to do? Go die on the cross? No. They do not think he's going to die on the cross. They think he's going to get a sword out, and he's going to go attack Rome and overthrow them and make Jerusalem the most powerful city on earth where they can rule over everybody. All right. What's Jesus demonstrated so far? He can feed 5,000 men plus women and children with almost no food. Is that helpful when you're going as an army? Yeah. He has proved with all these healings that if you've got a wound, he can stop you from bleeding. He can even, it's going to show later, raise people from the dead. Is that helpful if you're an army? What do the people want? They want him to get his sword out and lead them to Rome to go and take them down. And he's showing he's got the power to do it. Are they excited? Yeah, because that's what they think that this is all about, right? Verse 15. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, ah, that line makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? He slipped away into the hills by himself. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Jesus knows his purposes. Where's he headed? Is he headed to Rome with a sword? He's headed to Golgotha with a cross. Right? He knows how he's going to defeat evil. It's not going to be with the sword. It's going to be with his own sacrifice and his death. That's not what they were expecting. It's an amazing miracle. And after this, he's going to walk on the water. But think about that first verse we read in Mark chapter 1. What did it say? It said... He spent the time alone, and he said, we got to go, because that's not my purpose. Jesus is thinking about his purpose. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them, because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Does Jesus know what's going on with us? Does Jesus know that the things that we want are not always the things that God wants? Why does Jesus leave the town after he's done the miracles and gone and been alone? And hide to be alone again after feeding the 5,000? when they want him to become their king. 
why does he keep ditching the people when they're really excited about him? Jesus' time alone with the Father reminds and reinforces who he is and what he's about. Okay, let me say that again. Jesus' time alone with the Father reminds and reinforces who he is and what he's about. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. What's he say later? He has to go and preach that message to other towns. What's Jesus about? Jesus is about proclaiming that the kingdom is here and that we need to change. That we need to change and follow him. We think what he means, they think what he means is he's going to come in and whip evil. Like a lion. Like a lion. But what is Jesus instead? He's a slaughtered lamb. That's right, you got it. You got it. He's the slaughtered lamb. He's already won the victory. Right? He's already won the victory for us with his death. But while Jesus is on earth, the people want him to do something different. So what does he have to do? He's got to go be alone with the Father. It's not about violent overthrow. It's not about raising people up and healing them so they can live on earth forever, right? It's about following Jesus, being changed to become what God made us to be. So let's take this, this thing we're learning about what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going to be alone so he can be reminded of who he is. So why do we need solitude? You think there's anything that's the same reason? You see, God sees your value. God knows what he creates. you. How can you tap into those things that God wants you to know? You gotta spend time with God, right? You gotta spend time with God. How does Jesus do it? His time alone with the Father reminded and reinforced who he was, what he was about, right? What do you think your time alone with the Father could do for you? Ah. All right. Some things to consider with solitude. So now let's get into some practical. Some of you are saying, what do I do? Do I just go sit in a corner and close my eyes and that's solitude? It can be, but chances are you're going to fall asleep if you do it like that. So let's talk about a few things about solitude. This is from the NIV Life Hacks Bible. Found this when I was searching online. as some good advice by a guy named Joe Carter. It says three things to consider when practicing solitude. All right, first off, solitude does not require silence. If you search online about solitude as a spiritual discipline, silence pops up with it almost all the time. But it's not the same. Two different things. They are complementary disciplines that aid our communion with God, but while silence almost always requires solitude, it's hard to be quiet when you're with other people, right? you got to be by yourself to be quiet. Solitude does not necessarily require silence. We can use our time of solitude for prayer, for verbal meditation on Scripture, which means you read it out loud to yourself, singing psalms or hymns of praise or any other form of noisy activity. Solitude doesn't require silence or a hushed solemnity. All right, so when you're going to try to go be solitude this week, because we're going to have the challenge here in a little bit, 
Doesn't mean you have to be quiet. You just need to be by yourself. By yourself, away from distractions. All right? Two, solitude requires planning. ...with people and events, making it unlikely we'll accidentally stumble into solitude. Being alone with God requires planning. Choose a place where you can be intimate with God and free from distractions. This special place doesn't need to be special. It just needs to be a place where you can remove yourself from the world for as much time as needed. You have a place like that? Yes, I do. All right. Some of us do. Some of us, that's harder for others. You know, Jesus recommends a closet at one point. There's a lot of other choices. You got a car. Don't bring your keys. Just turn it. Don't turn it on. Just sit in the car. Shut the door or whatever. You know, find a place where you can be by yourself. By yourself. Time. What we can do is to get alone for a, away alone for a few minutes or even an hour. We should cherish those times and guard them carefully. Yet while these solitary moments are necessary, they're hardly sufficient to meet our need for closeness with our Creator. Commit to finding creative ways to be alone with God for extended periods of solitude, ranging from a few hours to a few days. I don't have this one down. <laughs> the last time I spent any significant amount of time alone with God, like what it's talking about, was in 2008. When I was on a trip, when I was a youth intern at Singing Oaks in Denton, we went to Colorado and we had a hiking trip and we spent 36 hours by ourselves. And that was the goal, was to sit and be alone with God for 36 hours. It hasn't lasted me this whole time, let me tell you that. <laughs> I need to be finding ways to do this some more. So this is a challenge for me too. Uh, second thing from this Life Hacks Bible. Three reasons solitude is necessary for spiritual formation, and then we're almost done. Solitude amplifies the other disciplines. We can carry out almost every other discipline in the company of others. We can pray with others, meditate with others, and worship with others almost any time and in any place. But practicing those disciplines in the context of solitude helps us achieve a greater focus. So we but there's something different about it when we do it alone with God. There's something different when we're alone with God. Second, solitude is not about being alone. Normally when we use the term solitude, we're referring to the state of being alone. But solitude also has the meaning of absence of human activity. This is what we mean when we refer to the discipline. The purpose is not to be alone, but to experience the absence of human activity so we can more fully experience the presence of God. This is not primarily about being away from others. It is primarily about being with God. Okay? Being alone with God. Spending special time with God. Last point. Solitude exposes our idols. Oof. We might tell ourselves we prefer God's company to that of any other person or thing in the world. Solitude puts that claim to the test. By being alone with God, we get a clearer view of the idols of our heart, and we are presented with an opportunity to repent. You ever tried to be alone with God? I've tried it before. What do I start thinking about? Anything else. What does that mean? I'm not concentrating, but I've got some idols, too. I've got places I think I'd rather be than with God. And that's where we want to get to eventually, is where there's no place I'd rather be. We sing songs about it sometimes. I want to be in the, the courts of the Lord. I want to be worshiping God. And sometimes when I'm here, I'd rather be somewhere else. Sometimes when I'm with God, I'd rather be somewhere else. 
And that's the thing that I got to work on. And that's what solitude can help reveal is as those things pop up in my mind, I say, ah, 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 I don't want to change God. Help me change. All right. So what's our challenge this week? Two times this week. I want you to find times to be alone. Two times. Find time for solitude. If you have never done this before, here's some advice. All right. One, don't bring your phone with you wherever you're going. The only thing you can do with your phone if you want to bring it is to set a timer. And I would recommend this by yourself. Five minutes. Set a five-minute timer. Stick your phone if you're in a closet outside the door of the closet. Shut the door of the closet. Five minutes. You're saying, I'm going to be a spiritual warrior. I'm going to do three hours the first time. Cornbread, you're going to do three hours. (laughs) Start achievable. Five minutes. Five minutes. If you can do five minutes and that goes well, try ten minutes the next time. If this is something you got a habit of already, you know what to do. I don't need to tell you what to do. But if you don't know how to do this, because this is not just about being... We, we've all been by ourselves, but not with God, right? I can be by myself all day long and not be with God a single moment of it, right? Because I'm doing whatever else I want to do. I got the TV on. I got my phone with me. I got whatever. I'm alone, but I'm not taking solitude with God. This is the intentional time with God, and we've got to plan, and we've got to... Not buy off more than we can chew this first time. So five minutes the first time, set a timer, put your phone somewhere else, find a place to be alone. All right? Let's pray, and then we're going to continue. ...of being alone. God, thank you for the way you revealed to Jesus in solitude who he was and what he was to be about. God, help us crave time with you. Help us want it more than anything else, God. And in that time, show us who we are and what you made us for. God, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.